0: with every ounce of our being, lived for the glory of God and lived adoring him. But we don't. And John has spent five chapters talking to the people of God about assurance, walking in the truth, walking in God's commandments, loving one another, and he sums up, and this is our need for confession this morning, he sums it all up with the very last verse of his epistle. Little children, and I love how he starts that, because you're beloved so tenderly. Little children, here's the sum of the matter. Keep yourselves from idols. Why is John doing that? Because the reason we commit any sin is because we are worshiping and elevating something above Jesus Christ. Something at that point is more important than Jesus. And so learning to identify what are those things in our life, and they can be good things. The need to succeed, being driven, wanting to be liked, wanting people to approve of you, being in control. There may not be anything wrong with these things, but we elevate them to ultimate things. What is it in your life? Let's spend a few moments personally engaging with the Lord. And then I will lead us in and we will pray together our corporate confession of sin. Let us pray. Friends, let us confess our sins together. Our lives are cluttered, Lord Jesus, by too many things and too much to do. We are driven by the need to succeed and distracted from our service. We have often lost our way. Forgive us. Let us, like Mary, find the one thing that is needed and sit at your feet. Amen. Amen. Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, this is our assurance of pardon that you, by God and his grace, have been delivered from the domain of darkness and you belong to a new kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus. And in him you are forgiven, as far as the east is from the west. Let's continue to sing, standing and singing together, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Pretty incredible that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom, what did Paul say? He was the worst. What a tremendous, tremendous praise. Jesus Christ, the only man ever born for the express purpose of dying, and dying for us. Let's continue to praise him and commune with him in a time of prayer. Let us together pray the prayer that our Lord taught us, the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us. kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The psalmist says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Declare his glory among the nations. Tell of all his wonderful works. Tell of his salvation day to day. Our Father who art in heaven, we praise you for sending Jesus Christ to the earth to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, and that is save ourselves. Lord, forgive us for all the ways that we do try to save ourselves, and then we deny that we're doing that. We try to make our lives perfect, we insist on our own way, we're driven to succeed. Rather than, as we prayed in our confession prayer, like Mary, sitting at your feet, beholding you, we do so many other things and we refuse to look at all the ways that we are saving ourselves or seeking to save ourselves. And Father, yet how do you respond? You sent Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of your sons and daughters. You say of us that we are your beloved children, whom you love. With us, you are well pleased, because we are in Jesus. O Lord, may we hear your voice above all the others during this Advent and Christmas season. There are so many voices ringing for our attention. Do we have our houses decorated right? Did we get the right gift? Are we doing this the proper way? Lord, there can be such a sense of unlimited obligation. Help us to sit at your feet and behold your wonder and your love and your glory. To experience Emmanuel, God with us. Father, we give you praise for the birth of Caroline Everly. We thank you, Father, and pray that there will not be a day that Caroline goes without knowing you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that she's been brought, that she has been birthed into a covenant home. And Lord, we just thank you for this gift. We pray for Grace's recovery and healing. We pray for Gary and Grace and Austin and Kyler, and we thank you that they are part of our family here. Lord, we pray for any who are hurting. We ask, Father, that part of their daily bread that we ask for is that you would give them comfort, that you would give them peace, that you would nurture them, that they would know that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And Father, as we open your word in just a few moments and come to the table, may we see Jesus. Open our hearts not to just learn information, not to just increase knowledge, but that we might, with fuller hearts, say, oh, come, let us adore him. Lord, my only wish for us as a people is that we have Jesus. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't need to preach the sermon. There it is. People need the Lord. That's exactly the message we need to get out to everyone. It's also the message that we're going to be looking at this morning. Just to kind of stir your attention, remind you a little bit, review where we've been during this Advent season. We've been kind of looking at uh, the topic of Jesus Christ, the inexpressible, indescribable gift. And I've been doing it through the imagery of let's open the package. I mean, we're told to have a childlike faith, right? So I know we're not eight years old in here. But let's hearken back to those days. Christmas morning, coming down the steps, going to see what's under the tree, all of that. I still like that part of the childlike faith, where you kind of get to look and see, I wonder what Evie got me this year. This will be fun and open the package. Well, the greatest gift we have is Jesus Christ, and we need to learn to open the package. Whether it's Jesus as more superior than the angels, Jesus greater than Moses, Jesus building his own house, or today Jesus as our great high priest. We need to learn to fall in love with the greatness of Jesus. See, one of the things we need to learn is how we approach the Bible. We need to understand that the Bible is there and it exists not to show us how to live a good life. So many misunderstand that. They think, oh, the Bible's so filled with rules and regulations and it's there to teach me how to live a good life. But it's much more there to show us how to meet God whose grace we need and we live a new life in response to that. How God comes down into the lives of people like us who don't deserve His grace, we don't look for His grace, we don't even appreciate His grace after we've received it. We need to understand that truly experiencing Jesus, meeting the God of the Bible will always impact us, always change us, always transform us. So how does God come down and change us? There's probably no greater issue in life. There is nothing more important. Let's look together at our passage we're looking at this morning. Jesus, the great high priest, from Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 14, and I'll read through chapter 5 and verse 10. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given by the triune God of love because he loves us. Let us pray. The psalmist prayed, open the eyes of my heart, O Lord, that I may see wondrous things written of you. And we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those things of the Old Testament. So, Lord, I pray, open the eyes of our hearts, of my heart, of your people's heart, that we may see the wonder of Jesus, of Jesus as our high priest, of Jesus who learned obedience through what he suffered, of Jesus who enters into solidarity with us in his humanity, becoming like us in every way, yet without sin. Oh, that we would fall in love more deeply with Jesus because we have been confronted by your spirit through your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if I have told you this story before, but when I was in the sixth grade, I was given a school assignment to build a model suspension bridge. Now, back then at age 12, I was no more mechanically inclined than I am today I still struggled with screwing in a light bulb or grabbing a hammer and nails. And so my mother, being so tender and compassionate as she is, knew immediately that I would struggle with this assignment and offered to help. And by help, I mean, and boy was I thankful, do it for me. What a good mom that I have. She's probably listening on the live stream as we speak. Did you all hear me say that? What a wonderful mom I have. And she did a tremendous job. I don't know if it was from being from New York and all that, and we had the George Washington Bridge and the Triborough Bridge and all these bridges to look at. But, I mean, it was an amazing suspension bridge. And I thought to myself, and I wasn't a great student back then. So in my mind, I went, I'm going to bring this in, and along with all of my B minuses and Cs and occasional not-so-good grades, those were my good grades, you know, I'm going, I'm getting an A in this class. We're nailing it. Turned it in all excited. We get it back, and what did we get? We got a B. I've never seen my mom so mad in her life. She was like, That's my suspension bridge. How could we get a B on that project? Now, we all know the purpose of a bridge. Why am I telling you this example? A bridge connects a chasm, two land masses over water. It is a way to get from point A to point B. And a bridge is a good way to visualize the vocation of a priest. For a priest is like a bridge connecting God to the people and the people to God. You can't get over the chasm without a bridge, and you can't get to God without a priest. Now remember what we've been looking at as we've been going through a little bit here the book of Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews is talking to a people who are downtrodden, who are discouraged, who are ready to give up on the Christian life. They've been suffering, they've been hurting, and they're ready to call it quits. Let's go back to Judaism. Let's go back to our former way of life. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, no, persevere, don't give up, keep going. And he's doing so by demonstrating the superiority of Jesus. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is the champion, the captain of our salvation. Jesus is greater than Moses. And now, he says, Jesus is our great high priest. You cannot get to God on your own. The chasm is unbreachable. You can't get to God on your own. You need a great high priest. And we have an eternal high priest. And we're called to cling to him, to persevere, and to hold firmly to him. This text teaches us three things about the high priesthood of Jesus. It shows us that Jesus' priesthood gives us human understanding, legal representation, and eternal salvation. Human understanding, legal representation, and eternal salvation salvation. Look with me at verse 14 of chapter 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for here's human understanding. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then the application, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. See, look at what the author is doing. He is encouraging these discouraged, downtrodden, struggling Christians to persevere, to hold on, to cling to Jesus. How is he doing that? He's showing them that Jesus is the one from whom they can receive all the strength they need to keep going in the Christian life. And how does he offer this kind of encouragement? He insists that Jesus himself endured every trial they are likely to undergo. And yet, remained steadfast throughout, yet without sin. When he says, who has gone through the heavens, the author is emphasizing Jesus' utter transcendence, his ascension, because he's so highly exalted, he's such a great high priest. And that even though Jesus is transcendent, cosmic, incomprehensible, he is also human, real, tangible. The author is bringing up his complete solidarity with us. We have in heaven one who's ruling, who's authoritative, who's reigning, and yet who understands us, who empathizes with us, one who shows us sympathy, who knows, as Psalm 103 says, he knows your frame, he knows that you are dust. We try so hard to prove that we're strong, we're together, and yet we have a Savior who understands that we're the opposite of that, that we're weak, that we're fragile, that we're dysfunctional. He endured triumphantly every form of testing that man could endure without any weakening of his faith or devotion to God. There was never even the slightest relaxation in his obedience to God. Now look at this. How do we respond? What is the application for us? Verse 16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. The application is that we are to turn from relying upon ourselves, turn from pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, Turn from the heretical verse that's nowhere near in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. Please, friends, I beg you if you hear that. I truly try to be a nice guy, but I think I'll blow my stack if I hear that. God doesn't help those who help themselves because we can't help ourselves. You know what we help ourselves to? Sin. And we have a Savior who sympathizes with our weakness, who enters into our struggle. The challenge is to examine ourselves for any vestige or hint of self-reliance. Any vestige or hint of what comes so natural to us. Let me do it. I can do it. Come on, guys, I'll pick on us for a second with this illustration. I mean, now it doesn't apply so much because we have GPS's and it helps us. But how many of us, before GPS were around, would never stop to ask for directions? Yeah, there we go. You know why? We're self-reliant. I'll do it myself. The Bible's message is the complete opposite to self-reliance. And here's another application. We have to learn to pattern our style of relating, how we relate after Jesus. Isn't it interesting, Isaiah chapter 9, when you look at the prophecies of Jesus, and it talks to us, a son is born to us, a child is given, and remember his royal names? What's the first one of his names? Wonderful Counselor. I can't help but think that the writer to the Hebrews, being fluent in the Old Testament, would have had this in mind when he's talking about Jesus as the high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses because Jesus is acting like a wonderful counselor here. And do you know what the qualities are of a good counselor? A good counselor loves people well. And people who love people, you know what people who love people do? They're curious. They want to get to know you. They listen well. They stand alongside you and they offer their solidarity. Friends, we are united. If we're Christians, we are united to the one who's a wonderful counselor. That means Jesus lives in us, and we have the ability to grow in being wonderful counselors ourselves. Maybe not capital W, capital C like him, small W, small C, but let me ask you, how much are you growing? How much are you seeking to grow in being curious in your relationships, listening well? Seeking to understand, you're united to the great high priest. Remember the image. He's a bridge connecting people to God and God to people. In Christ, you are a priest, small p, connecting people to God and God to people. See, the power, there is unbelievable power in this kind of relating. I'll share with you a brief story. Back in 2002, they were getting ready to close down the church plant that I was leading. And it's one of the things that led Evie and I and Joel to move from Oklahoma City to Florida. We moved to Florida, and a good friend of mine by the name of Steve Childers talked to me, and he was a wonderful counselor in my life. And Steve talked to me. He got on the phone with me, and the very first thing he said to me was, Jeff you must be devastated. That solidarity broke down all of my defenses so that I was ready for him to confront me, and he did confront me in love, but only after connecting with me as a priest, he was able to confront me and basically say, now, don't you ever be bitter towards anybody else. I was ready to hear that because he entered into my life. He offered me priestly counsel. He sympathized with my human weakness by entering in and sharing with me how devastated I must have been. I was like, somebody understands. Somebody gets me. Do you know how powerful that is to have somebody get you? Since we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a high priest who enters in, who gets us, who understands at every level, and yet was without sin. We can hold with confidence. You have somebody who knows you better than you know yourself. Do you know what good news that is? But that's not all. Let's keep opening the package. Legal representation The author now is moving directly to demonstrate Jesus' superiority by discussing the qualifications of Old Testament priests. He says, first, the high priest has to have the ability to sympathize with his people. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Picture the priest on a bridge, and he can deal with the ignorant and wayward. Bring them on the bridge himself and connect them to God. A high priest represents men in matters for which they are responsible to God. You become seen through your representative. If your representative is eloquent, you're seen as eloquent. If he's smart, you're seen as smart. You are seen through him. He becomes your substitute. Now, we also see here that it is necessary that the high priest has to be a man himself. The Old Testament priests, Aaron and his successors, represented the nation of Israel in the presence of God. In other words, they were Israelites themselves. They were familiar with the conditions under which people lived. They were exposed to the same afflictions, the same trials, the same pressures. So why is it so important that they would be able to... See, verse 2 tells us they represented the people well so that they dealt gently with those who were ignorant and going astray. This characteristic is important because, in other words, we are all normal human beings, dysfunctional, weak, immoral, self-centered, self-absorbed. So the priest could neither be indifferent nor over-sentimental. The second qualification was that he must be called by God. And we learn in verses 5 and 6 that these same two qualifications, which are required in any high priest, are present in Jesus. He's called by divine initiative, divine appointment. It says, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Jesus is our high priest by God's call and appointment. God appointed Jesus to his vocation as Messiah and high priest. God anointed him, appointed him to this function and role. He is your legal representative. If you're in Christ, you are seen through him. Imagine how we're seen just as smart, just as devoted, just as obedient as Jesus is. Keep opening the package. One more. Jesus is our eternal high priest, sympathizing with our weakness, representing us before God. Now he secures for us our eternal salvation. Look with me at verse 7. He says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Look at how the writer is letting us into the emotional life of the human Jesus. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. He did so to the one who could save him from death. This is looking at the whole of Jesus' suffering, humiliation, and passion And perhaps the best illustration of this is Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. So, for example, we read in Mark chapter 14 that Jesus took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And again, let me just point out, have any of you all ever felt deeply distressed and troubled? You have a great high priest who is able to sympathize who stands alongside of you, who is Emmanuel, God with us, who knows your pain and your mourning and your grief, who knows your distress. Why? Because his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. Talk about solidarity. You are never alone. They said to his disciples, stay here and keep watch. And then going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it was possible, this hour, and what is that talking about? The hour of his death might pass from him. And he cries out, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The author's intent here in Hebrews chapter 5 is to demonstrate Jesus' qualification for high priestly service by his agony and his tears. Throughout which his trust in God never failed, never wavered. He was heard because of his reverent, humble submission. We see here his devotion to God, his submission to God's will. Now, someone might object. Someone might say, well, wait a second, wait a second. That's because Jesus is the Son of God. It's easy for him to do it, he's God. He can do it. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. So maybe his suffering is easier than ours. Look with me at verse 8 where the text completely erases this objection. It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, we all know that it's a very normal thing for a child to learn obedience through suffering. Isn't one of the favorite parental phrases, I know I said this to Joel many times growing up, it builds character. How many times have you used that with your kids? Maybe even your grandkids. But Jesus isn't any ordinary son. He's the son of God. And so as son of God, though he was, even he was granted no exemption from the normal practice of learning that comes by suffering. But there is a major difference. See, in what sense did Jesus learn obedience by suffering? See, we know how it works for us. Why do we suffer? Because we need our character built up. We blew it in some way. We learned to be obedient because of the unpleasant consequences which followed disobedience. But Jesus was always on the path of obedience. He never, lever, he never left or wavered from that path. But for him, he learned by the sufferings which came his way as a consequence of his obedience. For example, Isaiah portrays him as a suffering servant. We read in Isaiah chapter 50, The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beer. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Jesus learned what obedience entails in this life. For him, obedience meant suffering and suffering even to death. Reverent submission meant for Jesus drinking the cup. Do you know what Jesus meant when he prayed in the garden, take this cup from me? The cup that Jesus was about to drink was the cup of God's wrath. It was the cup of God's holy, just opposition to sin. The cup he was speaking of was the cup of God's wrath, and it was this cup that Jesus had to drink as our substitute Drink what we deserve so that we never have to drink the cup of God's wrath. So that even when we suffer, even in God's discipline, it is never done to punish us. It is always done to make us more like Jesus. Yes, we may drink a cup and we may suffer, but it's not the same as Jesus' cup. Only Jesus as our great high priest. That's why he himself is the bridge who connects you to God, who brings you to God, because he drank the cup of God's wrath so that you only get the cup of God's blessing. Friends, is that how you see God? Or do you still see God as a God who gets you if you blow it? Who's out to get you? Who's mean? Do you still have that distorted view of God instead of a great high priest, one who understands us, one who gets us and knows us all the way to the bottom and loves us all the way to the top, who represents us, who was our advocate, and who secures for us an eternal salvation that can never be lost? I have a pastor friend who likes to explain being connected to Jesus in this way. He says being connected to Jesus is, being like, is like being on a rock that is absolutely infinite in size and in scope. Jesus is the infinite rock. And he says, now you're on the rock and you can fall. And if you fall, it's going to hurt. You're going to scratch your hands and your elbows and your knees, but you can never fall off. The rock. The rock has you. And you're eternally secure. Because Jesus fell off the rock. He drank the cup for you. He is a perfect, eternal high priest. Father, words almost escape me to know how to praise you. That you sent Jesus into the world to be that priest, to be that high priest, to be that bridge to connect us, to bring us to you. Lord, may we, with confidence, in the kind of God you are, and the kind of God you have revealed yourself to be, draw near to the throne of grace. May we continually be a people, weak in ourselves, but running, full speed ahead to the throne of grace, to the one who can help us find grace and find mercy in our time of need. Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As the elders come forward, as we prepare to receive the sacrament, let us stand together and sing the first two verses of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. until he comes. Friends, if you are a baptized believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and a part of his church, you are invited to come and eat from Christ's table. This isn't my table. This isn't the elder's table. This isn't LOPC's table. This is the table of the Lord. This is Jesus' table, and it's a table spread far and wide with grace and with mercy. This is not a table with a high boundary around it, saying, if you're not perfect, keep out. Remember what this says? This says, all who take it are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Who did the Lord die for? Dysfunctional, sinful people. And so this is a table where Jesus has torn through the veil, invites us into his presence, and says, I want to feed you with myself. I give my power away so that you may live. Our greatest need in the world is to understand grace. I feel like we know less than what's on our thumbnail of the meaning of grace. So, the invitation that the Lord gives to us is that if you see your need for Jesus, you see your need for grace, you understand that you're weak and sinful, that you're struggling, that you're dysfunctional, Join the human race and come and fly to Jesus. He has open arms waiting to receive you. He's the object. He is the host of this table. And this is his hospitality. He is spreading his meal. He is spreading out. He is giving you the best. He's giving you himself. Only if you're not ready to come to Jesus. Only if you're saying, I know Jesus is not for me. I would say, then you let the elements pass by, but friends, I invite you, ask Jesus to make himself real to you. I bet he shows up, and that might be scary, but it's worth it. Keep coming. Keep asking Jesus to make himself real, and my Christian friends, you need to ask Jesus to make himself more real to you. We need to, like Mary, sit here at his feet. Our greatest need this Advent and Christmas season, just like we sang in O Come All Ye Faithful, is to come and behold him. May we behold him in this sacrament, dying, rising, and living for you. Father, as we receive from you, this is not a time, we give to you by receiving. May we receive your grace. This is a means of grace where we're reminded how much you love us. And we pray, open the eyes of our heart that we may see and behold your gift to us. You're laying down your life on our behalf. You're drinking the cup of wrath so that we can drink the cup of your blessing. Lord God, set apart these elements for their holy use. night Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. same manner our savior also took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins drink all of it your word tells us that your thoughts are not our thoughts your ways are not our ways And probably the most amazing of all of your thoughts and ways is the thought that you would even dare and accomplish our salvation. How incomprehensible it is that you would stoop down to redeem and reclaim and restore a people rebellious, sinful, and bring them into your bosom, into your heart, and make us your children, And speak your voice over us, that if we are in Christ, you say to us, you are my beloved son or daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Lord, may this sacrament have reminded us this morning that your voice is the ultimate, dominant voice in our lives, and may we listen to your voice above all others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let's close our service standing and singing together the last two verses of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. receive the Lord's benediction and be dismissed out into your mission field. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. (music)
1: Thank you.